Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining me today is Kristen Michael Rodriguez, financial advisor at Symphony Financial. Thank you for joining me, Kristen. Thanks, Amy. It's great to be here. So excited to have the audience hear about you and your story. And maybe that's right where we will start off. My favorite part is hearing the journey of my guests on their experience into financial services. So please share with our listeners why you chose financial services and talk about that journey. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of an interesting journey with lots of different um, paths along the way. Um, but when I graduated from college, we were in a, a mini recession and I had studied liberal arts. I had political science and philosophy background. And the best job I found was customer service in a life insurance company. So I learned about life insurance and I learned about customer service. Um, I really learned most of the people in this world are pretty easy to get along with. There's about 10 to 15% that are not. <laughs> uh, so I'd remind myself that when you know you get the, the not so great uh, uh, customer interaction. But I, from there, went through a series of things, which included, I thought I might want to be a teacher, so I started studying education. I actually started pursuing a Master of Fine Arts in um, to, to be a ceramics professor. Um, and for a little while, I worked in the theater. I did different temp jobs, but uh, that all ended up culminating in being recruited to um, do a Master of Science in economics, and which is a little a little different, but they were willing to pay for my master's degree. And I saw working in customer service in a life insurance company that there were only a few ways out of that big pool of, you know, 60 people in a room and getting a master's degree was going to help me. So it was really interesting. It was actually agricultural economics. So I studied um, the poultry industry in the Delmarva Peninsula. Very interesting and international trade and um, taught myself calculus and computer coding. Um, so it was a lot, a lot of learning, but it was really good. And from there was picked up by, I was in Delaware and the credit card industry is still pretty big there. I was picked up by a credit card company to do um, data analysis in their marketing department. And pretty soon uh, brought out the first titanium credit card. Um, it was actually to break the, um, what was going to be a patent by their rival. So I was full into marketing, not really doing a lot of data analysis. And from there, went and worked at a mutual fund company. And so so already, I wasn't really planning this when I got out of college, but I ended up in life insurance, credit cards, and mutual funds. Um, then after that, I uh, when I, I at the mutual fund company, I got my series seven. They were pretty good at getting education for people. And I decided I wanted to um, be a financial advisor because I wanted to help people more directly than being at a big corporation. Uh, but on the way to doing that, I did marketing consulting and I worked for uh, Calvert Investments, which at the time was a leader in socially responsible investing. And I learned about that. Um, then later I, I went out on my own and wasn't intending to do socially responsible investing, but was led to that by clients who kept asking me for that kind of thing, which now is called ESG or, or sustainable investing is what I go with. 
Um, so that was a long and varied road uh, with a few stops in uh, in more artsy areas, but um, it really has given me a great background from developing products, doing marketing, doing customer service, understanding what's underlying all these. Um, so I, I'm pretty confident when I'm able to meet with clients now and they, they come with different things. I don't, you know, of course have every answer, but I've at least been around the block a few times and seen some of these things. So that's a fascinating journey. In fact, I made a couple of notes. I, what I heard myself as I was listening to you, while it might feel to someone initially that those were a lot of random possibilities that culminated right. into this really amazing career for you is teaching and creativity and marketing and service connecting with um, your clients because you, as you said, you've right. got a varying background and it allows you to connect. So those are all things that make really good financial professionals in my opinion. So what a great, yeah. what a great journey. That's awesome. Thanks. In your bio, you talk a lot about communicating regularly with your clients. So let's talk briefly about how often do you connect with them? I think this is a big question people often have is where's that balance over communicating, under communicating? How do you strike a balance? I think probably everybody's business is a little bit different depending on their clientele and who they're serving. But for you, how do you connect with them? How frequently? Um, and why do you think it's important to be have a regular method of communication with them? Yeah, well... Um, when it comes to this kind of business, it is a, this is a relationship business and any relationship that doesn't have regular communication, you, you lose pieces. Um, even when you're communicating with people, you don't, you don't always get the full picture. So I try to keep that door open as much as possible. So of course we have, you know, our annual reviews with people and sometimes it necessitates, you know, more frequent reviews. Some people, it is really hard to get them in annually. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's there's kind of, you get a feel for what your client's looking for. And there are times in life, you're about to retire, you're kind of trying to figure out how all the numbers gonna work. And other times when it's kind of smooth sailing and you check in from time to time. But so there's kind of, there's our proactive reaching out. There's also, uh, we have a monthly newsletter we send to people and for a while, um, I was writing an article for that. I'm, I may get back to that at some point because uh, I enjoy it. Um, but that provides it kind of just gives us a another touch with people, which some people pay no attention to, and some people wait for it. Um, it gives them just a place to be able to respond and say, "Hey, I was thinking about this thing that you sent to me. You know, can we catch up? Whatever, whatever." And then on top of that, I also try to do um, events where we'll either it'll be a fun event or I've I've started these um, sustainability circles where people are pretty jazzed about talking about some of these things. You know, I'm attracting people who are more passionate about some of these issues. And so that creates a place for them also to, you know, meet other people and talk about it. Um, I'm thinking of doing a few like, let's go you know, do something positive environmentally or, um, but I haven't, haven't quite put that together yet. So those are really our communication. Um, and, and it's great. Cambridge has the hearsay app so people can text me, you know, there's the people who text me all the time. <laughs> so, so that's really, those are the communications that we do. Yeah, no, that's great. So 
Did you find for those, you mentioned a certain type of client and I don't think you're alone in having them. It's just human nature. There's a segment of the population that is, I think your words were, they're really hard to get them even to come in for the annual or do the yes. annual review. It has the evolution, it's much, it was, it was here before but it is here much more prevalent now of virtual meetings. Is that helping with those types of clients? Absolutely, yes. Um, there, are, there are some who actually live very close to our office and we could not get them in, but pandemic happened. One was on, you know, in the office, another was in the basement. So they're, you know, in the same house, but, you know, calling in, it just made it easier, especially for busy professionals who coordinating a day that they can both, arrange to get to your office during work hours is really tough. So Zoom or whatever virtual you want to use, they can log in, we have a conversation and we move on. So yeah, it has helped. It hasn't gotten everyone, but it has definitely helped. <laughs> yes, I figured that was a, a little bit of a valuable tool for those types of personalities. So thank you. Yeah, for no, I'm super thankful. So you talked about um, already a little bit about the sustainable investing. That's really your niche, right? Designing mm -hmm. sustainable investing portfolios for clients. What does that process look like and how does the advice process work? I, I find it really fascinating that you said that your focus on that area was driven by the clients largely. So talk a little mm -hmm. bit more about that. Yeah. So I had, like I said, worked at a mutual fund company that focused on it. And there's goods and bads. Um, but when I went out and started doing this on my own, I was really looking for what's, you know, what's the best investment for people. And when I had after uh, probably two or three years into really doing this on my own, I had within the space of a month, three different people say, gosh, I really want my investments to align with, with my beliefs. Can you find me? Can you do this for me? Um, and so I said, "All right, <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm going to give this a try." And I actually like to design portfolios, uh, individual stocks if I can, mutual funds, ETFs. So that gives us a little more control. And um, because I enjoy doing that, it it gives the client you know that better um, access as well. So I just started designing portfolios um, for this. And they were happy. The portfolios were really, I, you know, I got a little bit of an education while I did this as well, uh, because I was looking for companies that take into more than take more into account than just the bottom line. Um, I mean, you know this. You're a CEO. You got to meet the numbers. There's growth. There's expenses. There are all these things. But when you look at the big picture. Well, we just had a pandemic and there was a great resignation and there was a lot more than the bottom line because you got to hold on to employees. There's engagement. There's, you know, there's the, these other pieces. There's uh, anytime a company's, you know, looking to expand, they want to see well, how does the community react if we want to buy some more land. There's, there's all these other pieces of a corporate bottom line that don't show up in the annual report. Um, actually now some sometimes they are, but you know, and you know this too, uh, diversity. I've said this before to people. When you go to a natural area, you don't find a forest that's just oak trees. It's a mix of everything. And it's because they strengthen each other. And it's that way with people as well. Um, so 
I, I was really was looking for companies that took these things into account. You know, we look at Amazon now and it's, you know, kind of like Sears was a hundred years ago. It still boggles my mind that Sears would send houses through the mail. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, that's, that still kind of feels like avant-garde to me. Um, but they were really innovative and looking ahead because they knew they, they, I mean, I haven't done a Sears study on Sears, but they were really meeting the customer in the future. And companies, the tech companies we see today are trying to meet people in the future. I'm looking for companies that, you know, Sears kind of sat back on its heels and they're not around anymore. You want those companies that are taking care of today's bottom line, all the other things that go into the bottom line and getting ready for what's my industry going to look like in 10 years? How do we position ourselves for that? So for me, that's sustainable. And while you might have, you know, we've got market ups and downs, I'm looking for companies that are going to be tried and true for clients through five years, 10 years, maybe 20 years. Um, so all of this to say that I developed these portfolios and they were good for the people who asked me to develop them. And they were actually really good for people who weren't asking for anything specifically like that as well. So it became my business. And then when I started talking to people about how I was a financial advisor, that just is part of the conversation. Um, so has that answered, you, you asked a kind of a multi-part question. I'm not sure if I answered it all. Absolutely. No, that was great. I have a follow-up if that's okay. You're, yeah. What you're describing in my mind um, sounds like it takes a lot of expertise and time, especially mm -hmm. building individual portfolios the way that you are in a niche like you're talking about here. So are there any, for the listeners who might be interested in thinking about this as a part of, or in addition to, or a sole business model of some sort, are there any really valuable research and screening tools that you found that you could share with our listeners that have kind of given you a little bit of efficiency in that implementing that process? You know, I, um, I like the data, but I'm not I don't subscribe to like a Bloomberg where you can really, you know, dive super deep. I'm, I spend a lot of time doing research that is out there. So there's um, the investment company Institute has some research. Um, there's, um, there's another one that focuses on sustainable investing. Um, I do have some folks I used to work with at Calvert and um, some other places are deep into sustainable. So I use their research as well. I don't, there's not a, um, oh, and then I go and I'll look at what um, other like sustainable mutual funds, I'll read their research because I, I use them for clients sometimes. And then sometimes I'll, um, you know, see what they're saying about uh, different companies. When it comes to some of these, it's because it's not super data driven. There's the, the data for, for this whole ESG area is all over the place. There isn't a, there isn't one, you know, kind of metric you can run on. So I try to pull these from, I'll pull it from the newspaper, you know, read the wall street journal and, and I'll, I'll see like a, a few years ago, um, Spotify started investing heavily into podcasts and people weren't so into podcasts. Here we are on one, <laughs> um, but they, they saw, okay, this is where things are going. Um, now I didn't put them in my portfolio, but it's catching things like that, that I'm trying to really see 
where what are the companies that are paying attention to some of these things? And then I'll lean on um, some of the more um, you know established places to see, okay, what is their governance like? Um, but it's a it does take time. So what you what I'm kind of saying here is it takes time, and it's a bit of a patchwork because there isn't there isn't really good data on some of the things we're trying to find. And I presume some of the flexibility has to be there. We'll go back to talking about your clients a little bit, like the characteristics and values that you look for in clients. But also, if I understand this segment of the industry at all, it's making sure that the clients can come to you and say, I'm interested in, you said this was driven mm -hmm. by your clients largely. So I'm interested in this category. And then you have to go out and find those companies as well, right? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. So talk about how that works. So I, I, um, I try not to customize it so that I have a hundred different portfolios because that's not manageable. Um, but there are times when a person will say, I'm really into, you know, I'm looking at sustainability of water and I'll have a few water things, but if they're, if they're really pushing for this area, we'll look further into it and maybe add a holding or two. Um, sometimes, most of the time I found what people are looking for doesn't yet exist. Um, uh, like um, a sustainable agriculture company. Boy, I've had a couple of requests for that. It's not out there. So, or there'll be a few things, but it's a privately held, you know, organization. Um, so yes, I get those requests and as able, I, I will um, fulfill them, but I keep, I try to keep a main portfolio with a few versions, you know, for aggressive or income drawing, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but I will, I will listen uh, when people have a particular area they want to invest in. So for sanity, what I heard is for sanity purposes, you would recommend to anyone thinking about this space to try to avoid offering the unlimited flexibility approach. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Good advice. That is correct. I understand. Good advice. So the second part of this, uh, talking about your clients a little bit, what are the characteristics and values you look for in a client and how do you select clients to work with? Yeah, um, that's a great question and something, you know, I'm really trying to focus more on um, is, and this also has to do with some of the events that we're doing. I'm looking for people who are curious uh, and, and this sort of self-selects, it doesn't always, but when you're looking at some of these sustainable things, you're curious about what the future brings. Um, caring also, and that kind of gets back to taking care of Mother Earth <laughs> um, and figuring out how we how we really do a good job of that. Um, and generally, and maybe this goes back to my customer service days, but easygoing is is something I like to attract um, because that kind of add, adds into that flexibility. Um, and curiosity. So you're avoiding so, that 10 to 15%. That's what I heard. I, I am generally trying to avoid that. <laughs> yes. I think that's great <laughs> advice. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Thank you for that. I've read that you previously served as president of the Women Business Owners of Montgomery County in Maryland. You're a strong advocate for financial literacy. So what makes you so passionate about those things? Talk about your passion. You, we've talked a lot about... Uh, the passion that you have in sustainable investing, um, this is probably connected largely, I would think, but let's, let's get specific about those other interests that you have. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely can be, um, but it can also be completely divorced. Um, so you you are well aware of the um, women in the workplace, women in financial services, um, women entrepreneurs. These are areas where traditionally women haven't been uh, as supported as uh, they they could be. And the organization, the Women Business Owners of Montgomery County, was actually founded by a few women in the 70s who could not get um, a loan in their name. Uh, they had to have a spouse or father or something get that. They couldn't get credit cards in their names. Imagine trying to start a business without access to capital, um, even a little bit of capital. So they had founded this organization, which uh, continues today. and. Okay, so our, our focus has changed a little bit, but it still remains true that women don't always learn these things growing up or in their previous um, lives. So we really are there to provide a forum for women to freely discuss these kinds of things, learn from each other, um, pass business to each other. It's not it's not a about the business necessarily, but it's about the person and how. Uh, how she's growing in her business. So um, so that's great. I really have enjoyed that. I'm still deeply involved. Um, I just like the energy of a lot of women getting together and uh, being being who they are and running businesses. Um, so there's that financial education is really key. I was fortunate to grow up in a house where we talked about finances. Um, we, we talked about owning investments um, and how interest compounds over time, these kinds of things. But a lot of people don't. And a lot of times there's a very emotional piece uh, goes, that goes along with uh, financial information. And so any chance I get one-on-one -on -one with people, uh, that's that, that educational component is really important to me. Um, I mean, even with say credit cards, which, ooh, credit cards are kind of bad, you know, it's debt and, you know, but, the truth is sometimes they're a lifeline that people have have access to. They can be a really good thing. Um, so, you know, it's it's helping people take the emotion out of money. It's a tool. It's just a tool. Let's make it work for you. And honestly, there's a lot of things that regular people don't really learn about. Um, what are those strategies? How can how can you benefit from understanding how a CD works better, and when it rolls over, that it goes to a good rate and not a bad one? And um, you know how do, how do you understand paying off your own debt, and why is it good to have a mortgage? You know how, what, and, and everyone has these questions, and there isn't always an easy answer. But um, should you have a mortgage or not? Should you um, take a student loan debt or not? And these are things that people weigh personally, but there are some kind of rules of thumb that I really enjoy being able to give back at um, even you know local community events I've given talks or um, you know things like organizations that will ask me to come speak. Um, even a, I've gone to businesses. Uh, so happy to pass that kind of information along. Everybody can use it and we're all stronger because of it. Absolutely. Great points, good advice. I myself just recently um, had an experience that made me realize, so this was an individual, a lot of times I think this fear of talking about money and learning about money and you were talking about women not having access to capital and all of those are real, 
And I think sometimes about this being generational, but I ran into a millennial who had like $1,800 worth of a credit card, money on a credit card. Now, I agree with you. Credit cards are not always bad, but this is the opposite example. <laughs> yes, sometimes they're, they're not used well. For, well, for seven years, this person had not defaulted on a payment, but they were only making the minimum payment for seven years. They could, they could, they didn't understand. Like, why am I not getting ahead? Why is this not, you know, I'm still, it was really hard to do other things like pay my rent or make my car payment or whatever, because I've got this debt hanging over my head. And I, I, it reminded me that some of this, while generational, we then that generational lack of financial literacy, basic financial literacy skills doesn't get passed on to even the younger generations. It isn't like no, it's the younger true. generations just wake up by themselves and, and realize that our generations made some mistakes and they should fix them. So it, financial literacy is really key. And it's really is. And that's where, I mean, even my own kids who are now, you know, college age, we don't always have all these conversations because they don't want to listen to their parents about some of these things. And then you think, Oh, shoot, how did they get to this age and not understand that, you know? No, these are these are things I think we'll always be teaching. I agree. Um, I agree. And it's great that you're putting in your time. And then one other interesting thing, I know we have a long way to go yet, but on the women small business item, I will say I've I've caught myself going on to Etsy and they're they are making well not all probably but some of these businesses are making it very clear that they are a women-owned business and okay. it is becoming one of the categories that will compel me to buy a product from a That's business great. versus mm -hmm. somebody who maybe isn't making that clear mm -hmm. and i have no idea like i didn't screen who owned the businesses for a right. long time when you're out either on amazon or etsy or pick whatever um, but I, I do think that there's an evolution happening in terms of how not just women-owned businesses, but other segments of the population are now feeling much more comfortable identifying themselves and using that as a positive right. marketing tool, which I think mm -hmm. is a really, that's progress in my opinion. Yes. Yes. No, it really is that, that we're not hiding these things. I mean, you, you and I are similar ages and we kind of grew up when you go to the corporate environment. Yep you're female and they're male, but like that's everything else is the same. Like you should try to look and do everything else the same, you know, <laughs> don't be different. Well, now people are saying it's okay to be different. Sometimes it's really good to be different. And I think you're right. There's something really refreshing about that. Yeah. I'm, I'm inspired by it. So as we wrap up, Kristen, one thing we've learned throughout this podcast is that our financial professionals wear a lot of different hats, both in and out of the office. And with all that work and all those hours, because it takes a lot of time, like we talked about earlier, we need some fun in our lives. So talk about what you do from a hobbies and interests perspective and um, how you find that balance. Yeah, it's really important to me. Um, I, I've seen too many people kind of get to, actually, that was one thing at the life insurance you could tell when someone had retired and they'd been retired for about a year and they got their statement and boy, oh boy, they felt like they'd been taken advantage of for the last 20 years and they would call and complain about it. And I thought, I'm not going to retire and finally have time to do that kind of stuff. I want to enjoy life along the way. So thanks for that question. Um, I have, well, I do have, um, I love doing stuff with my kids and uh, lots of soccer games 
Yesterday morning, we were freezing 21 degrees wind chill factor. Been there. How many kids? Two? Uh, two, yes. And boys, girls, how old are they? What a are girl names? and then a boy. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and the second one's just about to go to college. So, so I'm going to have to find something to fill those, those early mornings, but uh, that's okay. Um, so that, that's really fun for me and just having fun with the parents. It's kind of a recreational time. Um, I do have a great group of friends from the women business owners and, and a few other groups. So we'll get together sometimes. I love, I've started now last year, sustainable gardening, um, so I like gardening, but now I'm trying to attract all the bees and butterflies. And um, I did learn, however, we have an overpopulation of deer in our area and they eat everything. Um, I knew that, but they even eat the stuff that says deer won't eat this. <laughs> they eat it all. So then you can't attract butterflies because the deer ate it already. So I'm fencing in my garden this year, um, but I really love uh, just diving in and doing that kind of stuff. It's interesting. I like learning. Um, the other thing I love doing is podcasts. I love learning stuff. Um, I'm one of those people they saw coming. Um, so that's really been a joy for me. And then I do um, exercise and that ceramics that I was studying before. I That's a little tougher because you got to sign up for time to do it. But that's really when it gets down to it, I can go do ceramics. I don't think about anything else. It's kind of no rules. You know, you've got gravity, you've got physics, but everything else is just experiment and fun. And that's that's really a joy place for me, too. Maybe that's where you put your empty nester time. I will tell you if it helps that being an empty nester now for four and a half years or so at first. Um, so my kids were athletes and very involved in things as well. They were also in fine arts. So every day, every morning, yeah. middle, night, there was something right. We were running to something. Um, and I thought, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do with myself? I'm just going to adopt someone else's kid and I'll still go to those things. Right. I didn't go to a single one after my kids graduated. So I did find things to fill my time. You oh, will, great. You will, too. But maybe it's ceramics or, um, yeah. uh, you know, utilizing some of those other life uh, events that you did earlier in life and, and bringing mm -hmm. it back. So that's great. You mentioned podcasts. Do you have your own? I don't. I mean, that's, I'm kind of curious to see you doing this. This is really, this is really fun. And um, I haven't considered having my own, but I know I'd like to talk more about some of these things and maybe I should look into it more. I think you should. I think you'd be great at it. So uh, put that on the list of maybe when I have time. Yes. <laughs> well, you're a good model. I'll give you a call if I do, Please uh, do. if I do pursue it. <laughs> Please do. Well, thank you so much, Kristen. Is there anything that I, you think would be valuable for the listeners that I haven't asked? I think you've got it. All right. Well, I, I really think it's been great. That. You did a great job. You've given us a lot of really interesting things to think about, and I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app.